So Brandon and Brian, I was uh, watching on Instagram a TikTok. I don't use TikTok. But I was watching on Instagram an Instagram reel, a TikTok of a preacher. So this preacher's, somebody took what the preacher was saying, made a TikTok, put it in his Instagram reel. <clears throat> now he said that putting the emphasis and clapping on one and three is a white thing. <laughs> and two and four is a black thing. And I always thought it just depended if you were listening to Lawrence Welk or you were at church. I mean, that's, I, that's what I thought that. I mean, I for sure did not think it was a black-white thing. Because, you know, I preached one time in South America. They're under the, you know, below the equator. I preached in South America. So, you know, and here's all these people in church of all things, and they're clapping on one and three. Because when you flush the toilet south of the equator, it flows, you know, the opposite direction. It swirls the opposite way. I, I, so I don't know. It you know, may have to do with a lot of things. I'm not sure it had to do with what he said it had to do with, but praise the Lord. We had, so last Sunday, I know some of you freaked out because last Sunday you were able to sit on the fringes or someplace out of the crowd because uh, we normally have 270, 280 chairs in here and, and we had 315 people, praise the Lord. Um, but uh, it's, uh, you know, more normal size. We had, uh, I think, over 700 all told, which would be the highest tenants we've ever had I've, uh, when I, since I've been here for Easter. <laughs> Praise the Lord for that. And uh, Lord willing, we still are. It's, you know, it's both uh, nav- it's navigating and negotiating for us to get to that spot of finally being able to break ground on about 4,000 more square feet and get that all together because we've got to deal with city of Blue Springs and, and architects and uh, general contractors. We're working on that. So go ahead and bump elbows with your neighbor. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you this morning as we come before you that we can come rejoicing, that we can come praising you for what you've given us in Jesus Christ. God, that ought to be the thing that every person in here who's born again, who knows you as their Savior, we ought to want to do that. We ought to want to praise you. We ought to want to show it joyfully, if nothing else, for the sake of those who are in here that do not yet know you. Lord, this is real with us. It's not fake. It's not put on. God, you deal with us very directly, spiritually, in the inner man, in our heart, by what you say in your word, your Holy Spirit deals with us. So God, speak today. Speak today. Give us the things we need to see and those things that will change who we are and those things that will lead us to eternal life. We ask it in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen. Thank you. May be seated in the Lord's presence. If you have your Bible with you, turn first to Daniel chapter 10. We're going through the book of Daniel. We alternate that with another study. And we've made it up actually to chapter 11 today, but I'm going to start you off in chapter 10, and I think it's a good thing. I like going a chapter at a time because that prevents us from getting bogged down in the weeds, uh, although it's difficult to do today, uh, uh, especially difficult with this particular chapter. And let me also say that if you haven't been with us through this study, and so it's not that long, it's only 12 weeks total is all that it will be, Uh, but if you were not with us for chapter 2 of Daniel, if you were not with us for chapter 9 of Daniel, if you were not with us last time for chapter 10, uh, you ought to go on our YouTube channel and um, fast forward to about the last 40 minutes of any, any sermon, and then you get this, actually the sermon. I, I mean, we put up our praise and everything on Sundays uh, as we live stream it, but you ought to check those out as well. Um, because if you interpret Daniel chapter 11 without the advantage of simple English Bible exegesis, then all you come up with is a prophecy of historical events which are already in the past. In other words, it was prophecy to Daniel because it was future to him, but it is now past to us. And that's why nobody ever preaches Daniel chapter 11. But in actuality, Daniel 11 contains the revealed truths of God through the angel of the Lord in chapter 10. 
And he set up chapter 11 with this statement. Look at it in verse 14, Daniel 10. Now I am come to make thee, Daniel, understand what shall befall thy people, Israel, the Jews, in the latter days. And, again, just simple English Bible exegesis, the latter days for Israel includes the tribulation, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 30. It is the same latter days that we saw in chapter 2 and verse 38 of Daniel's prophecy here. So, whenever the leaders of the nation refused to repent at the baptism of John, whenever they refused to accept the Messiah, Jesus, whenever they refused to believe the word of Stephen before they stoned him, when he said he saw heaven opened and Jesus standing at that very moment ready to return, when they refused all that, then Daniel's 70th week from Daniel chapter 9, the last seven years, got projected into the future. And we are now living in the interim, in between, ready for that 70th week, ready for the Antichrist show up, ready for those things to come on, uh, which will happen after we're out of here at the rapture. So in the first half of Daniel 11, there's a histor- there is a historical application to prophesied events, which were still future to Daniel, Uh, that do take place in the 500 years before the birth of Christ. And so on your handout, we've given you a basic outline of chapter 11 to show that. But all of those wars between the four Greek generals of Alexander the Great and Cleopatra and Egypt were just pictures in Bible type of what will take place between right now and the final battle of Armageddon. So here's the dealio. It's our thesis for today's study. Any sign you can find. Now, the rapture has no signs. It's imminent any moment. But any sign you can find pointing forward toward the second coming of Christ, saying that it's soon, saying it could almost be here, then that just means that the rapture of the church is all that much closer. And so Daniel 11 tells us exactly what happens to a person who rejects receiving Jesus, refuses to be born again, misses the catching away of Christ's body, the church, revealed in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, and then lives to experience the consequences, also described in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 10 and 11. In other words, these are the things which will be experienced by those who are left behind. The church will be removed, but Daniel 11 is both for Gentiles and Jews remaining. You know, it's just like so many other prophetic passages of your Bible. It's just like the book of Revelation, just like the minor prophets. It it is not hard to understand. It's just hard for you to actually believe it. You know, as I thought about this chapter and trying to preach through it and thought back to all the professors I ever had, in seminary and getting my degree and all of the scholars I had to interact with to get that degree. And I thought, you know, what would they say about how I'm going to preach Daniel chapter 11? What they would say is, but nobody's going to believe that. Well, I think God looks down and says, okay, but all the believers will believe it. And and so Daniel 11 is so mind-bending. It really makes the end of this book hard to finish. But now you bend your mind all the time. And all sorts of science fiction stuff, and all the movies, you know, social media, uh, music videos. You bend your mind all the time. But if I were to summarize chapter 11 down to verse 35, I would use the words of Jesus himself from his Olivet Discourse on the Latter Days. Look at it with me on your, on your handout, Matthew 24, verse 6. He tells his apostles about what's going to happen in the future. Ye shall hear wars and rumors of wars. 
Now, don't let anybody take Daniel 24 and stick it in the past as to its interpretation because that did not happen under Roman General Titus in A.D. 67. The Romans were unchallenged in power in the first century, so you can't just stuff it back there and say it's done. Jesus says, See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So it is the latter days, it's just not the end of the tribulation yet. Verse 7, for nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. That didn't happen in the first century. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places, just like Revelation talks about. Climate change, extreme weather events. And yet, verse 8, all these are the beginning of sorrows. You know, President Kennedy once said that if mankind does not put an end to war, war will put an end to mankind. And that's an absolutely true statement. If you do not have the intervention of God at the second advent of Jesus Christ. Because that is what would happen at the battle of Armageddon if Jesus didn't come back. But his second coming, which is our coming back with him, will be the war to end all wars. So this chapter is not very appealing. It's not really encouraging. I mean, unless you get the context. So let me just survey the first two-thirds of this chapter with plenty of references to validate it. Uh, verse 1, uh, Daniel 11, verse 1. And I, in the first year of Darius the Mede. Well, that, that places this in the same time as when Daniel had been cast into the lion's den. Back in chapter 6. I mean, this is the same time frame that God gave him the prophecy of Daniel chapter 9. So at that moment, even I... Now, this is the angel of the Lord speaking... He says, even I stood to confirm and to strengthen him. He's talking about Michael the archangel. So this is referring back to what we would have seen in chapter 10, last time we were together. So I stood to strengthen Michael the archangel. He's the principality that was battling the principalities and powers of Satan so that what God promised to the Jews in Scripture, what he calls in chapter 10, verses 20 and 21, the Scripture of truth would actually take place. Verse 2, and now I will show thee the truth. Behold, there shall stand up yet three kings in Persia, and the fourth shall be far richer than they all, and by his strength, through his riches, he shall stir up all against the realm of Grisha. Okay, now I'm going to call back to your memory what we saw back in Nebuchadnezzar's image in Daniel chapter 2, because what he's referring to here in verse 2 is that transition of power between the chest of silver, that was the Medo-Persian empire, and the, and the thighs of brass, that is the Greek empire, and so three more Persian kings come after Cyrus, and the fourth one invades Greece, and that leads to the retaliation described in verse 3 of Daniel 11. As Alexander the Great conquers the world in the 320s BC. In verse 4, his empire, after he dies, his empire is divided among his four generals. Two of those four become uh, incredibly strong. Uh, the Egyptian Ptolemies in the south... South of the promised land, verse 5, and the, Silurian, the Syrian Seleucids in north of the promised land in verse 6. And so that brings us to our first point for study. The fulfillment of things historically as past Bible prophecy is only so the Jews will not distrust that scripture of truth as to its promises to them that will yet be fulfilled in future Bible prophecy. And since verse 6 says it deals with the end of years, it has at least some application 
to exactly how the Antichrist gains control in the Middle East. And that's what we will see in this 11th chapter of Daniel. We're seeing not only the prophecy of a historical person in Israel's past history, it is also the coming Antichrist in their future history. So the nations of Egypt and Assyria appear together throughout the Old Testament prophets. One north of Israel, one south of Israel, and this one great ruler stands out as the most anti-Semitic of them all, both in Daniel's prophecy and in human history. But he really starts coming into focus for us down about verse 20. Look at verse 20. Then shall stand up in his estate a raiser of taxes in the glory of the kingdom. Now, at Jesus' first coming, Caesar Augustus made a decree that all the world should be taxed. That's Luke chapter 2, verse 1, but only in a King James Bible. That tax is changed in every modern translation, including the new King James Version. It is changed into being registered, Christian Standard Bible, ESV, New King James, or taking a census, New American Standard, NIV. And that one simple and incorrect corruption destroys the cross-reference to what you are seeing right here in Daniel chapter 11, verse 20. Because why did, you know, why, does, why did Caesar Augustus do, you know, if he did do a census, why would he even do a census? They didn't count people. They counted, you know, n- nickels, not noses. And the only reason they need to know how many noses is so they would know how many nickels should come from that particular province. So, so that change right there, make sure that you never see Rome as a picture in Bible type of Babylon, Caesar as a picture in Bible type of the Antichrist, or America as a picture of the new Rome, and us as the new Romans. But what I'm going to point out to you is that we have come full circle in 20 centuries. Before Christ's first advent in the first century, there was a raiser of taxes, and before his second advent... In the 21st century, there will be a raiser of taxes, just like Daniel chapter 11 says. So the IRS, the Internal Revenue Service, becomes the International Revenue Service. And verse 20 says, but within few days he shall be destroyed, neither in anger nor in battle. Okay, this gets back to the biography of the Antichrist. Because we know from what John says in the book of Revelation that he's actually slain, he's actually killed, and the false prophet raises him back to life. I mean, the Antichrist has two manifestations in your Bible. The first three and a half years, he comes in as a man of sin and yet the man of peace, uh, Revelation chapter 6, verse 2, because he's going to confirm a covenant with the Jews to reinstate the Mosaic law and its sacrifices, Daniel 9.27. In the middle of that seven-year covenant, he is wounded to death, Revelation 13.3. And then after that, in in the last half, in the great tribulation, he is resurrected as the son of perdition, 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 and 4. So, man of, man of, man of, Sin, son of perdition. I mean, he comes as a man of sin, but when he's resurrected, I mean, that's not son of God, it's son of perdition because the devil himself now inhabits. Now, now uh, you know, the devil himself is now the demon that is possessing him. So first, the Antichrist makes a, makes a league and a covenant. Verse 23, Daniel eleven twenty three with the Jews, by measures of peace, he becomes strong, even, even though at first he does not have an influential following, verse 23, his plot to overthrow other heads of state and install his own ten kings in their place is thought out and well planned, verse 24. Now look at verse 25. 
and he shall stir up his power and his courage against the king of the south with a great army. And the king of the south shall be stirred up to battle with a very great and mighty army, but he shall not stand. For they, the Antichrist and those whom he has installed with him, shall forecast devices against the king of the south. Now that was an old way of saying that they shall plan a successful strategy ahead of time. Uh, But obviously, uh, we are not ignorant of Satan's devices, so it does have to do with divination and other things. Uh, And yet, today's devices are satellites and technological surveillance. I mean, today's devices are drones and iPhones. So let's do the jump again. Let's pick up the characteristics which are identifying the Antichrist. Because we no longer are seeing a person being prophesied to Daniel who has already appeared in history. We are looking instead ahead to the world's final dictator before the second advent. Look at verse 36. And the king, okay, this is the big king. This is uh, Capo di Capi. This is the boss of all bosses. This is the godfather because it's the beast. And those kings who rule with the Antichrist give their kingdoms to this beast, Revelation 17, 12, and 17. So he, verse 36, shall do according to his will. And he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak marvelous things against the god of gods and shall prosper till the indignation. Now, keep track of that word indignation. Don't lose it. He shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished for that that is determined, the indignation shall be done. Okay, first characteristic is this. He will be eaten up with pride. You know, the first words that the Bible ever records that the devil spoke, um, it's not his first recorded words are not actually Genesis. They are Isaiah. The first words he ever spoke in Bible chronology are, I will ascend, I will exalt my throne, I will be like the Most High. Isaiah 14, verses 13 and 14. Sin started with Satan's will. And when any human goes to hell, it is because of his unfettered free will. Abraham asks God the question, Shall not the God of all the earth do right? And the answer is understood. Yes, absolutely he will. If he wipes out Sodom and Gomorrah, no, he's still doing right. Because Lot was there. They had a witness. They had a testimony. They had light. They had had time. I mean, it only happened because finally the fullness of their iniquity came to the top. And God said, if I don't stop this here, Stop the spread of this right there. I got to amputate right here. Revelation twenty two seventeen says, And the spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. John five forty, And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. So God says that grace is always resistible by you. Which is why Stephen says in Acts 7 verse 51, But ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did. So do ye. So John chapter 1 verse 12 is the touchstone of salvation. It is the touchstone of salvation. The pure gospel. I mean, the gospel is 1 Corinthians 15, but how, how you get to it and apply it to yourself is John 1.12. You receive Christ by believing what, what he did for you on the cross. John 1.12. But as many as received him. Well, him who? What's well, right there in chapter 1 of John. Him who made the world. Verse 10 and verse 3. Him who was the true light. Verse 9, him who was life, verse 4, him who was God, was with God, and was the word, verse 1. And if you receive him, what does that do for you? 
Well, verse 12, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. His name is Jesus, Savior. Jehovah is Savior. Jesus saves. Believe and receive to get saved. And yet this contrasting man, the Antichrist, he's not the creator. He's not the true light. He's not the life. Oh, he was with God, but he was not God. And so he constantly and consistently corrupts the word of God. As to character, he's just like Adolf Hitler. Uh, He has what German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche described as the will to power. In other words, he is consumed with his own self-will in accomplishing his own personal and national agenda. And pursuing that, verse 37 says, neither shall he regard the God of his fathers. So this is number two. He will not fear God. Now again, just simple English Bible exegesis, that term, the fathers, and that phrase, fathers, fathers, in verse 24, is a Jewish expression for their patriarchs, the forefathers of their nation. So religiously, ethnically, he's Jewish, but nationally, he's Syrian, because he is also called the Assyrian in Hosea chapter 11, verse 5. He will ignore his upbringing. He will not fear God. Uh, Verse 37, neither shall he regard the desire of women. Number three, he will ignore biblical morality. Now, why do I phrase it that way? Again, just simple English Bible exegesis. Now, all the commentators are confused. They are all divided. Nobody knows if that phrase means, does that phrase mean he's homosexual or does that phrase mean he simply just never gets married? Well, I know what it means, because in verse 21, he's called a vile person. And twice in your Bible, that word is connected to practicing a manner of sex that sodomizes and goes against nature to do. Judges 19.24 and Romans 1.26. So as it was in the days of Lot, so it is in our society right now. His sexual desires, as was theirs, is not toward women, neither, verse 37, shall he regard any god, for he shall magnify himself above all. That's number four. He will not acknowledge world religions. So we're not talking about an ecumenical movement, which falsely preaches the heresy that all roads lead to heaven, lead to God, or lead to nirvana. What we're talking about is not an ecumenical movement, but an elimination movement so that they only worship him as God himself. This is the structure of his character. These are the traits that make the Antichrist who he is. He will have charisma, control, and craft. And yet even though he will not regard the God of his fathers, verse 38 says, but in his estate... Now, an estate is a condition, a status, or, uh, according to Genesis 6 and other places, uh, where simple English Bible exegesis, where this word is used, it is a state inhabited by angelic forces compared to human beings. So the angels that left their first estate to cohabit with women in Genesis 6, okay, that's what it's talking about. So in his spirit being a state, the Antichrist will honor the God of forces, a God whom his fathers knew not shall he honor with gold and silver and with precious stones and pleasant things, meaning the things that he steals out of the temple. So he will not worship God. He won't care for anybody else's gods, but he will worship the God of this world the devil himself professing to be the true God, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Now, all the modern versions change forces to fortresses, including the New King James, which is supposed to be a revision of the King James. 
They, they change forces to fortresses, which again deprives you of the references that you need to identify the character of the Antichrist like you can do in a King James Bible. So Satan is connected to electrical forces in nature, Luke 10, verse 18. He uses these electromagnetic forces to call down fire out of heaven, Revelation 13, verse 13. He uses it to enslave the earth in an internet, a worldwide web, Habakkuk 1, verse 15. His rule results in the gold, silver, and precious stones, just like what Christ has at the judgment seat of Christ, 1 Corinthians 3.12, being used to honor Satan. So, you know, whatever else may happen with cryptocurrency and the dollar as the world's reserve currency and our Federal Reserve Bank uh, in terms of a crypto dollar, whatever else happens with that, the Antichrist will build his personal wealth on hard assets in order to honor the God of forces. This is the material images. He uses those assets to make the material images of the Antichrist. Revelation 9, verse 20. These, these elements make up the adornments of the great white whore, the great whore, Mystery Babylon. Revelation 17, verse 4. And the merchandise of that great city, Babylon. Revelation 18, verse 12. So he finds his source of strength as the devil incarnate. And then finally, verse 39. Daniel eleven thirty nine. Thus shall he do in... The most strongholds with a strange God whom he shall acknowledge and increase with glory and he shall cause them to rule over many and shall divide the land for gain. So number, number five, he will control his dominions with utter ruthlessness. And the devil, we know, is an unclean spirit comprised of unclean spirits Mark chapter 4, verses 4 and 15. And we know the them in this verse are the ten fallen angels who rule as kings under the Antichrist. Revelation 12, verse 3 and 17, verse 12. And he will cause those forces in the strongholds to rule. They will rule from influential capitals over masses of people as a set of false apostles set on thrones, and in doing that, the Holy Land will finally be divided into a two-state solution. Watch, verse, uh, verse 40. And at the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him, okay, that's from Egypt, and the king of the north shall come against him. Okay, but wait, I thought the Antichrist was the king of the north. Assyria, yes, he is. This is a different king of the north. This is one that pushes against the Antichrist like a whirlwind, which is how Christ comes. It's how God shows up. I'll push, you know, against him with chariots and horsemen, many ships, and he'll enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. So north does not mean Canada. South does not mean Mexico. The central country in the Bible is not America. It is Israel. Because they are that land bridge that ties together the continents of Asia, where kings of the east are, of Europe, and of Africa. So in other words, Israel is the nexus of all three sons of Noah. And finally, this brings us down to the ultimate conflict at Armageddon. So the Antichrist first makes peace with the Jews and for the Jews. He acts as the a person who's going to guarantee their safety and the reinstitution of their sacrifices at their temple. And then he's drawn into war with Egypt. Somewhere in there he's killed, uh, I'm going to say perhaps by a Jewish assassin. Maybe that's why he gets up uh, treating them so differently. But when the spirit of the devil, the dragon, the serpent, Satan, installs the spirit of the son of perdition into the man of sin... Well, he will not return to the north after he defeats Egypt in the south. He will land right there in Israel itself. He, he will put his abominable image into the most holy place of the temple, and he will demand worship of himself as God. 
Well, how does all that finally end? Verse 44, but tidings out of the east and out of the north shall trouble him. Therefore, he shall go forth with great fury to destroy and utterly to make away many. So here comes the battle of Armageddon. The tidings out of the east regard the kings of the east, Revelation 16, verse 12 to 16. Uh, John tells us in the book of Revelation that a way is prepared for 200 million horsemen, Revelation 9, 16. Uh, I'll say, I'll put it, the way I'll phrase this, by a diversion of the Euphrates River. And since he's the king of the north geographically, Syria, then tidings out of the north actually refers to the second advent arrival of King Jesus from the sides of the north. Psalm 48, verse 2, Isaiah 14, 3, Revelation 19, verses 11 to 14. Now, what are some of the specifics of this final battle to end all battles? Verse 45, and he, the Antichrist, will have to fight on... So, he, so it's talking about the Antichrist. He, okay, he's got he's to fight on multiple fronts now. But as to his command headquarters, he shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas in the glorious holy mountain on the temple mount. Yet he shall come to his end and none shall help him. Now you all are doing so well today in having your minds bent a little bit. And I know they're not broke yet. And, and so I think that you can handle the details of Zechariah. Uh, that are not supplied by Daniel. If you look on your handout at Zechariah 14, behold, the day of the Lord cometh. Now that's the second advent. And thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. Okay, so that's the first front besides the other front at Armageddon. And the city shall be taken and the houses rifled or plundered and the women ravished and half of the city shall go forth into captivity. And the residue, the other half of the people, shall not be cut off from the city. Okay, so the Antichrist defeats Egypt, doesn't go back to his place. He lands in Israel. He is so mad at the Jews. Here's what he's doing to the Jews in Jerusalem. And yet half of the people will not be cut off from the city. Why? Well, because verse 3, then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And that was Joshua chapter 10, verses 13 and 14. When the sun stood still and the moon stopped, uh, Hebrews 3.11. So, verse 4, his, she, his feet shall stand on that day upon the Mount of Olives, the Lord's feet will, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and the half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, half of it toward the south, and ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azal. Yea, ye shall flee, like as ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah king of Judah, and the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with thee. You know, I'm, I'm kind of toying with the idea that after Daniel, maybe we ought to go to the school of the prophets. And in going to the school of the prophets, I want to, I, you know, let me take the minor prophets one book at a time, one book a Sunday. Just one Sunday for each book, 12 weeks in the minor prophets. Because you can see from Zechariah, and now if you'll look at Joel chapter 3, you can see how what Joel sa says fits right into the heart of Daniel's revelation, Joel 3, verse 5, because ye, the Antichrist, and the Arab coalition in Palestine have taken my silver and my gold and have carried into your temples my goodly pleasant things. The children also of Judah and the children of Jerusalem have ye sold unto the Grecians that ye might remove them, well, half of them, far from their border. And Joel is speaking in the past tense because he's really talking about three slaveries because the Jews were enslaved by the Babylonians, 586 B.C., and then the Jews were sold as slaves by the Romans, A.D. 70, and they will be sold by the son of perdition, Revelation 18, verse 13. So what? Well, so this, verse 9. Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles, the nations. Prepare war. God says, I want you to tell all the nations, get ready. 
Wake up your mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up to Armageddon. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Now, I want you to notice the divine sarcasm because everybody gets this verse totally backwards. Uh, but really, God's being sarcastic. He's saying, look, it won't matter what the Antichrist and his armies say. Tell yourself that you're strong. Go on with your bad self. Just go ahead. Verses, verse 11, assemble yourselves and come, all ye heathen, both European, Asian, and African, for what? And gather yourselves together round about. And here's why it will not matter what they say or what they do. Because thither cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. That's us. Now, now I, want you to, I want you to just watch what we do. I mean, you wouldn't even believe it if it were not written so clearly in your King James Bible. Joel chapter 2 verse 7 says, And they shall run like mighty men. So these, these troops, us, as the Lord's troops, the mighty ones coming back, um, we match David's troops, 1 Chronicles 12, verse 21, because we'll be like his mighty men. They shall climb the wall like men of war, and they shall march every one on his ways, and they shall not break their ranks. Neither shall one thrust another, so there's no uh, friendly fire casualties. They shall walk every one in his path, they, so we will march just like Joshua's troops entered uh, entered the city of Jericho, Joshua 6, 5. And when they fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. Talk about Superman. They shall run to and fro in the city. Talk, you know, talk about the flash. And they shall run upon the wall. They shall climb up upon the houses. Spider-Man. We are Spider-Man. They shall enter in at the windows like a thief. The earth shall quake before them. The heavens shall tremble. The sun and the moon shall be dark. Now wait, stop right there. This is red moon rising, not what you read in the book. Okay, red moon rising is the second advent and the, the events that precede Armageddon. Red moon rising is not the 24-7 prayer movement, which compels you to get your own familiar spirit your own attachment demon right after they have baptized you in water in their bathtub. No, do not believe everything you read in the Christian bookstore. Acts chapter 2 was not the former reign, and Azusa Street Revival and Asbury Revival and Alpha Course and Vineyard Churches and IHOP and Nava and anything else is not the latter reign. And they can choose Red Moon Rising as their icon, but it only shows how demons cannot do exegesis. And you can now see how what they teach is really doctrines of devils. 1 Timothy 4.1. Back in Joel 2, verse 10 says, And the stars shall withdraw their shining, and the Lord shall utter his voice before his army. For his camp is very great, for he is strong that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can abide it? Well, the Antichrist cannot, and the armies of the nations will not, because we, the body of Christ, are the armies of saints who return with Jesus for this battle, Jude verse 14. And we have the glorified body at that time of Jesus Christ, which is why we are able to do the exploits described and, and why we look the way that, that is explained in verses 7 to 9. So now that your head is spinning, and we're at the end of chapter 11, I want to give you four things as we near the end of Daniel's book together. So as we near the end of this book, finishing up chapter 11 now, we only got one more uh, sermon in this series on chapter 12, but I want to give you Daniel's four calls to saints right now. First, a call to holiness against the spirit of our age. We saw that way back in chapter 1, verse 8. Secondly, a call to steadfast ministry. That's in chapter 3, verses 16 to 18 with the three Hebrew children, Daniel's friends. And it doesn't matter. They're going to, Nebuchadnezzar says he's going to cast them into a fiery furnace. They stay the course regardless. Number three, 
a call for you to pray full of faith. Even after everybody else gives up. Even after everybody else says, the Bible is not sufficient. And we've got to go on all these other tangents to you know, really give you what's going to help you. Because the Bible, no, let's stick with the Word of God in prayer. How about that? And finally, we see right here in chapter 11, a call to trust in God's promised future, even when it gets worse before it gets better, verses 25 to 35. So you can see why I think that going to the school of the prophets for a few weeks might be a really profitable thing. Because it is Zephaniah who gives us the whole purpose in all of this and this fits in with these four calls coming out of Daniel's book. So I want to I leave you with this, Zephaniah 3, verse 8. Therefore, wait ye upon me, saith the Lord, until the day that I rise up to the prey. They have been praying on you. I'm going to pray on them. I'm going to rise up for my determination. Remember what that which is determined It's going to be done. My determination is to gather the nations that I may assemble the kingdoms to pour upon them, what? Mine indignation, even all my fierce anger. For all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. So work and wait until Jesus comes because at the end of the tribulation, and this will be after God has taken his hands off the wheel and he lets the world have the leader that they want in the Antichrist. And this will be after all of his anti-Semitic genocide puts the Jews right back into a holocaust. And this will be after he tries to force the whole world to worship his image as God Almighty. Well, then, after all of that, God is determined to get them all together with the express purpose of turning the Holocaust back on them, 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 6 to 10. Now, do not gasp at that, because it will be just like the incendiary bombs that we dropped on major population centers in Germany to create overnight firestorms that killed the entire population of the city, man, woman, and child. And it will be kind of like the two nuclear warheads we dropped on two cities in Japan and we did not warn them in advance and it killed everybody there. And we believed we were entirely justified in both those instances. So you cannot righteously open your mouth against God. Isaiah 43 verse 9. And here's the relevance of all this for you. And all that you and me and Daniel have heard from God today. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some men count slackness, because a lot of them say, you know, it's been 2,000 years, it ain't, it ain't going to happen. No, he's long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. By the grace of God, there's still time to get saved. By the grace of God, there is still time to share your faith and the hope of the gospel. By the grace of God, there is still time to make disciples of Jesus. By the grace of God, there is still time to build this body, his church. And by the grace of God, there's still time to save your family by getting them out of the sewage of our society. Have you been tempted lately to put your trust in patriotism and politics, tempted to put your faith in education and reformation, tempted to believe someone other than God about the truth. You know, everything else burns except God's eternal word and the eternal souls of men and women you know. Souls that God has a purpose for in eternity. So we have the most strategic ministry in all of history, and we do it. We have the opportunity to do it at the most opportune time. That is why we want to teach you how to view all of your life evangelistically at our evangelism conference Sunday and Wednesday nights, next Sunday, and the Wednesday night following, April 23rd and 26th. 
Do not think, do not get the feeling that I've been talking to anybody else except you today. Jesus said, ye shall be witnesses, Acts 1.8. Many people will never hear any other gospel than what comes out of your mouth to them. And nobody else will take their testimony and wrap it around the terms of the gospel and share it with them if you don't. Well, what are the gospel's terms? John 3.36, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. But wait, that's only half. Because the other half is that he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. John 6.47, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, Jesus says, hath everlasting life. 1 Timothy 1.16, howbeit for this cause, Paul says, I obtain mercy, that in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Every head bowed, every eye closed. My time is up. I thank you for yours. Will you simply believe on Jesus for everlasting life? All you have to do is pray. I mean, just your heart to God, knowing that he hears. Just pray and say, God, save me today for Jesus' sake. I trust Jesus for everlasting life. Hear Jesus, I give you my life. Go ahead and stand with, with us if you would. Get ready for the praise team to send us out singing. But if you prayed today to trust Jesus as your Savior, please come here to the front, either before we sing, as we're singing, or as soon as we get done. We'll have people here at the front of the aisles. I want to give you a copy of my book, Next Steps for New Believers. And, uh, you know, the only, your conversation with God is just beginning. Getting saved is the first thing. You need to be discipled. Maybe you've been saved a while, never been discipled. Well, sign up at the desk in the lobby on your way out. Let us pair you up with someone one-on-one to take you through the Bible, just 16 basic fundamental concepts of the Christian life. Maybe you want to be a member of this church. Okay, come up and talk to us about it. Maybe you want to get baptized next Sunday when we do baptisms. Come up and talk to us about it. Next Sunday, before we finish that last chapter of Daniel, I'm going to start a a short new series from Ruth chapter 1, just three or four weeks, on the single-minded life. So it's not just for singles, it is for every single person. So praise team, send us out.